Howdy to all our listeners and welcome to episode six of the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs. And as always, alongside studio director Wayne Delaire and lead pastor of Grace Life Church in Sarasota, Florida, Joe Davis. Joe, how are you? I'm good, man. Good to be back. You had you had fun the other day, didn't you? We did. Without Having me. special yeah. guests. You were invited. You know, it's a lot of positive ratings coming in. We're going to, the guest... They're lining up outside the studio. Yeah, I hear Joe. that. But here's the thing, you know. Normally, I, <laughs> the reason I didn't want to come is because I don't like it when somebody's smarter than me. This in the room. You said you were busy. He's not. <laughs> come normally, on I'm now. the smartest person in the room. But with him, I felt stupid. So I would agree with that. No, so I come on. No... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, you're starting a new sermon series here at Grace Life, the life of Joseph. Why are you doing a series on yourself? That seems a little. Yeah, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> that's over the top. It's called Surviving in Egypt, awesome. and Egypt is a metaphor for the world. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't realize how dysfunctional Joseph was, as well as his brothers. It's comforting we to like know. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. We like to glorify <laughs> Joseph, and he did some great things, but mm. that was because of God's grace, not because he was some... He caused guy. his own suffering, just like all of us. Fun so, series. Today, I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, it's been great so far. You know, today's show, this has been a great series as well. We're wrapping up suffering, which you would think, how can that be great? But the depth of the conversation, the responses that we've gotten, especially to the last show where we talked about Jesus having the, quote, panic attack. And you said you'd never, you'd never heard that phrase before, which I hadn't either. But the man who seems to have coined it, Dr. Tim Mackey, he's the co-founder of the Bible Project. He's the adjunct professor at Western Seminaries, Dr. Hebrew Studies. He's got a lot going on. But you were like, wow, I've never heard that. That's so good. I'm going to steal that. I'm like, well, let's call him up. Well, now I can't steal it. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> now we've talked to him. That's right. We emailed him and now he's I on our cite show. My sources. Great. It's so cool to have. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So that's coming up. That was a real good get, by the way. Oh, uh, it's so nice. We're going to have, yeah, the guests are lining up. Second part of our show, we will take on a workbook question. Chapter two of your book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. Get your copy. You have a 4.8 rating right now, Joe. Is that, that is one of the high, That is excellent. Oh, is it? It's okay, one good. of the highest in the category of Christianity. 4.8 is your rating. And somebody gave you a five-star rating and they said, quick shipment. <laughs> So the good rating is because Amazon did a good job getting good them the job book. shipping it out quickly. So that, that you know, that's just one. Everyone else loved the book. Be sure to get your copy. It ships quick. Uh, available now on Amazon and elsewhere online, so you can follow along. If you have a question, email us at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail That's livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail If we read it on air. You will allegedly receive a signed copy of the book from Pastor Joe. Have you mailed that? And have you quick shipped those five copies? So for this is episode six. I have distributed them accordingly. Do you have? You have. I did not ship them quickly. <laughs> it took me a week or so, but they're done. <laughs> well, we ship quickly, it seems like. It's all coming up here. This is the sixth edition of the Living the Grace Life podcast. First, Joe, we were so fortunate to have Tim Mackey, co-founder of The Bible Project, give us a call 
earlier this week, and he's the one that coined, he had a sermon, A Door of Hope, which was a, uh, is a church in Portland, Oregon, where he's from, and he did it about three years ago, where he says Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane has a a panic attack, which I had never thought. I never thought of it that way. Could Christ even have a, a a panic attack? But he really goes into this sort of suffering. And uh, I, I think I've had a couple panic attacks. Have you, Joe? Had? I'm not sure if I know for sure, I guess. Yeah, I think it's something that, at least to the scale that Jesus had it, if you had one, you would know it mm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure there's a scale of them. But I had seen articles written that tried to describe what it means to sweat blood from a medical perspective, right? That used a lot of medical jargon and it looked kind of complicated. What Tim did is he actually described it in a way that an average believer could empathize. Usually we think of Christ being sympathetic and empathetic to us. Tim put it in a way that allows us to finally empathize just a smidgen with what Christ went through the moments before his crucifixion and the night before his crucifixion. And it just made a much better picture for me. It It is so good. good. Let's take a listen here to Tim talking about Christ having both a panic attack and sweating blood. Good time. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, I I mean, to be clear, a panic attack is a term that we have in our culture. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) Um, What we're describing... The one or two that I've had, I didn't even realize in the moment that that was happening. (laughs) It took me a while after these things happened. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about a moment where our emotional state is in such turmoil that our body begins to manifest strange behaviors. Mm. Mm. Another, Another factor is this is in Luke, the Gospel of Luke's account, the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm hmm. He, uh, he paraphrases it, Luke twenty two forty four that Jesus was in anguish, and it's a famous image of his sweat was falling to the ground from his, like drops of blood, which is often mistaken to mean that he was sweating blood. That's not what Luke says. Mm. Uh, he says it was, imagine a cut that you have that's bleeding, and his sweat was dropping like that to the ground. Got it. So, uh, yeah, what, you, you tell me, like, uh, would you are experiencing extreme grief and fear. You use words like, I think I'm going to die. And you're sweating. Your body's reacting with dripping with sweat. I think that qualifies as a panic attack. I would Uh, agree. uh, (laughs) That's so significant to me because up to this point in the gospel, Jesus is like, he's a solid rock. Like he, he's, he's the stability of his of his group of disciples like they freak out all the time about that and like he's the one who's calm and collected but this is the the only scene in the gospels where it's as if he cracks as he has to uh, think of what's going to happen in the next 24 hours yeah he's really it seems like wrestling with the in fact he doesn't want this to happen it seems like he says if this is possible may this cup be yeah. taken taken from me yet yeah. and then he goes yeah, and right. says yet not as i will but as you will it's like he, yeah. he's almost looking do you think he's looking like 
like for another, like a ticket out, like, because in our worst despair, and here he is alone. We've been talking yeah. about suffering together. It's so important to yeah. be in relationship. Yeah, right. yeah. The other guy can't seem to stay awake. And here he is by himself with the father yeah. in a sense saying, hey, yeah. can I get yeah. out of this? I mean, that feeling we've all, I think, experienced that is Christ. Would you even say lonely in in this example and and actually asking for a change of direction? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Well, he's certainly lonely in terms of these are his closest friends that he's developed (laughs) over the last couple of years, and they 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 abandoned him. And it's not even the the twelve. He took the three. Right, Peter, right. Um, James, and John, right. who were like the fishermen, know, I think. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the sons of Zebedee is just how Matthew calls them. And so, yeah, they've been with us since the beginning, and even they, you know, we've all had experiences like this, where the people that we count on typically, when they let us down, the universe gets a little less safe. You know, mm, mm. Um, that's a pretty universal experience, and. Imagine ourselves into Jesus experiencing that, that grief. But I think what's important, too, is the way the gospel authors are, are portraying Jesus' words and how he moves into his grief here. It's significant. So with, uh, in Matthew, when he says, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, mm-hmm. those actually aren't Jesus' words. He's using words from Psalm 42. So to me, that's significant in that when Jesus is trying to give verbal expression to his grief, you know what grief is like, this chaotic emotional experience we're having inside, and then when we try and give words to it, we're trying to give some kind of order Mm, uh, to it, to express it, to give it some kind of meaning. And so when Jesus wants to talk about what he's feeling, he can't even use his own language. He uses the language of the prayers and poems that he was raised on, namely the book of Psalms. So I think that's powerful. For one, that he uses scriptural language as a vehicle, Mm -hmm. like, you know, talk about what he's feeling. But And so here's why that's important, is because a a major role that the Psalms played in Jewish culture and through the history of the Church today is that the Psalms, uh, after the exile of Israel to Babylon and the temple was destroyed, mm-hmm. the book of Psalms began taking shape as like a portable temple. <laughs> uh, so normally okay. you would go to the temple and offer your sacrifice and kneel, you know, before the temple and offer your prayers. And you can't do that if you're in Babylon or <laughs> wherever else. Right. And so the Psalms are like this training manual for how God's people are to process their, both their joys and their sorrows in the presence of God, even if you're not near the temple. And I, I've, and most people are often struck by this. When they move into the Psalms, the Psalms are often shocking to us in how honest poets express their anger at God, their grief right. to God, their feeling of loss, but also their joy. Like there's no emotional boundaries. <laughs> Uh, in how the Psalms teach us to pray. Yeah, the whole spectrum. So I think that's yeah. what Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is expressing here. Like he he's both expressing a certain kind of resistance to what he knows is what his calling is. Like he doesn't want it, but just because he verbalizes that, 
doesn't mean that that's the final word. It just he's processing his emotion, <laughs> right? Uh, which means he can say one thing and then say the opposite thing. You know, like I don't want to do this, but as you will, like those aren't. It's kind of experience of this opposite. But who doesn't know the feeling? Right, right. I was gonna say it's just how emotion, it's how know? we operate, right? You can have it. Uh, you can have both simultaneously, which is, I mean, I and I think in the way yeah, that it right. says yeah. here that he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And I was yeah. trying to think, I mean, yeah. there, there's been maybe, there's been two, maybe three times in my life where it is like someone has punched me in the gut and there's no, it's almost like you're hyperventilating. It's like you have no air and literally the weight under, like your knees buckle and you are like, God, I, I, and you just, there are no, there are no words and you know, I guess maybe like you're saying, it's, you come to terms with this is what's going to happen. And then for me, it was the freedom yet not as I will, but as your will, would you say that in a sense, cause then Christ, it seems like the second time he prays, it's changed. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink yeah, it, yeah, may your right. will be done. Yeah. Like that's the, okay, I got kicked in the gut. I'm on the ground. Now I'm <laughs> like, wait, this is going down. If this is going down, God, I'm with you. I don't, I'm just, I have no choice. I have to hold on to you. I guess is Christ giving us not only an example of what to do in that situation, but saying, this is the way that we can become closer in relationship because I did this already and know what it feels like. I've been in your shoes. Yeah, man. Yeah. You, there's a, a whole bundle of interesting things to, to think about there. You're right. There is a progression. In Matthew gives us three rounds of Jesus' anguish prayer. Yeah, and then the first one is, if it's possible... Let's do this another way. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, not as I will, but as you will. Ooh, also note that he's using exactly the language of the Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples there. Ah, yeah. He addresses God as my Father, and may your will be done, may your kingdom come, here mm-hmm. on earth as in heaven. Yes. So he's even adopting the language of the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. It's his prayer, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the first one is, if it's possible... You know, uh, the second one seems like he's come to an awareness it is not possible. <laughs> um, but still, may your will be done. And then he just tells us a third time, it's just Matthew's summary, he went away a third time and prayed the same, mm. the same thing. So, that, yeah, he's going through a progression that um, his suffering and death is a part of his calling. It's actually going to be the way that God's kingdom is truly launched and inaugurated and invading here on earth. But he also has the same degree of trust, as he says in earlier teachings about the Son of Man will be killed and then be vindicated or raised to life. He can face his death knowing in trust that his resurrection by the power and love of, of the Father is going to be what happens on the other side. But that's just an act of faith and trust right now. Right. Clearly, it's an act of faith and trust. So, yeah, I just, I, to me, this is hugely significant because the whole claim of 
the gospel stories, all four of them, that in Jesus we're watching the Creator God enter into the pain and the anguish of His creation. That He doesn't rescue it from a distance, He actually rescues it by taking our pain and suffering in, into Himself. There's a, a theologian, European theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, which is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> he talked about he talked about this scene as the moment where God becomes God-forsaken. And I, I think, and which is, there's a paradox in there, of course, right? right? Because if Jesus's very life is sustained by the Father, and yet he's one with the Father, mm. there's something happening here where, where God is taking into himself the very God-forsakenness that we experience in our suffering. Mm. So go ponder that. (laughs) But I have a hunch that it's this idea that Paul the Apostle is exploring in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about how all creation is groaning Mm. in slavery to death and decay. And then he says, we too, followers of Jesus, we groan, and we don't even know what to pray and how to pray in our anguish. I mean, surely he's thinking about this story. Of Jesus. And then what he says is, do you know that when you're groaning over the pain and suffering of our world, he says the Spirit, the divine Spirit of God, is actually the one within you who's doing the real groaning. <laughs> <laughs> so it's another image of God suffering along with his creation as the way that he redeems it. I don't even really know what I'm talking about here, except this is how <laughs> Jesus and, you, and the apostles talk about it. But me, this is the real chaos of the story, is that God, he doesn't like, hey, all right, it's kind of hard for you guys down there on earth, I understand, but don't worry, I'll rescue you out the other side. Here's Jesus to show you how it works. Right. It's more like, it's actually God do, doing it alongside us. Yeah, it shows the severity of not just uh, of not just the pain and suffering that we will encounter here, but the actual interest and I guess love, right? The commitment that he has to us to say yeah. that yeah, right. in the midst of you driven to your knees, I'm not going anywhere, which then does that answer yeah. the question? So someone's saying, why, why do I have to suffer? And we've kind of taken this... Yeah from all these different points and come to the part where in our suffering is sometimes the only way or the best way that we can know the love of Christ, not just for us, but also the love that he had for taking the pain and suffering and, and all of what humanity has done by absorbing it. It gives us a glimpse of, of what he went through. Is that reason enough to say that is why mm-hmm. suffering happens mm-hmm. to good people because mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. to this day, you know, people will struggle with, okay, if I made a bad decision, then of course, then that means something. But if, if mm-hmm. I'm just a random act of, of violence mm-hmm. or evil, I'm still, I'm in my pain. Now Christ never gives mm-hmm. up. It seems like he never says, God, you don't exist or, or you've, you've cursed mm-hmm. me. He might say, you know, where are you? Yeah. But, but he yeah. doesn't he doesn't give up. I guess yeah. Does that yeah. mean that's why we have to suffer? The yeah. only uh, you know I, I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, you know, 
the why question is is the most important question that any one of us has personally when something terrible crashes into our life. And uh, whether you could say it's unfortunate that the Bible doesn't address it as much as we would like, <laughs> or maybe it's God's wisdom that he doesn't address it. But the why question is almost always the thing that we never fully get. <laughs> mm. I mean, what we get is uh, assurance that we will suffer, not as like a promise of a sadistic God, but mm-hmm. it's just like, what? look at our world. Look at my body. <laughs> right. My body is designed to break down and to die and to quit working right as it gets older. That's mm-hmm. just, my body's not uh, designed to avoid right. suffering. By design, yep. Yeah, where it lands us is to say any act of pain or suffering that I undergo, yeah, sometimes it's because of something stupid I did. Just as often it's because of something stupid somebody else did. Mm-hmm. Which means that our suffering is actually a collective condition. Any any act of suffering on my part as an individual is itself just a participation in the collective human condition, mm-hmm. which is death, but which is pain and suffering passed <laughs> towards death. It would just be blunt about it, right? Right. But, but but we also trust, and we have glimpses that there that we're made for something more. That these experiences feel also alien to us, like they're not right, like they don't fit. And the biblical story is saying, yeah, those aren't, that's not just a hallucination like that, points to the reality that suffering and death is an invader and an alien to the true purpose of our world. Right, and right. It's almost like it's not the, uh, it's, it's not the end, it's almost like it's yeah. not the end of the story. It's almost like the suffering yeah. Yeah. and even death is not the end of the story. Yeah. It's not getting the final say. It's not yeah, right. the end game. So when everybody's like, well, what, you know, what's the game here? Whatever, if I'm just going to live 80, 90 yeah. years, I die. The end yeah. game isn't the end game. Like we're pl- the, the real ending is by Christ yeah. overcoming yeah. death that yeah. any suffering has already been overcome. And maybe maybe that's why he says, you know, let not just your will be done, but this whole giving up of the self, the only time I feel the freedom uh, of, you know, all the self-help stuff and all that, I always feel like that's we're, that's the wrong question. Like, self-help is I was by design not able to do it myself, thanks be to God, mm-hmm. because who needs Christ mm-hmm. if I can do these 10 things and all of a sudden I got it all sorted out. Like in that suffering, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just part of this bigger, bigger picture. And maybe, maybe that's what he's doing here is just showing us. Yes. You know, it's almost like by suffering, you know, God, why are you doing this? And he says, yes. And then you say, well, I, I just, I can't do anything. I just, what should I do here? And he says, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, wait a yeah, minute. That's right. that's not you know, the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you talk about the end game, here it, it's, what, it's important. I mean, Jesus is in a garden. It's very clearly called a garden. <laughs> and he's, Jesus is facing his ultimate test here in a garden. Right. Which for anybody who's read the first pages of the Bible, this is all very Yeah. Um, Jesus 
facing his test huh. of whether he will be faithful to God's will, to the Father's will. This is all a replay of, of the garden temptation in Genesis 3. It always comes um, back. And then, and then that gets us up to the whole biblical storyline. Like God's end game is to have a world where his creatures who are genuinely other than him, but that receive and live by his love and wisdom and rule, rule the universe as beloved, glorious images of God. That's page one. Of <laughs> but if those beings are going to truly rule and fulfill God's purpose in the universe, it means submitting to God's wisdom and love and authority. And that's, of course, what, what the Adam and Eve temptation story is about. Is we actually we want the blessing of, of rule and eternal life, but we want to do it on our own terms. Mm-hmm. We want to do it on our own knowing of good and evil. And that's what plunges creation into the world that we experience of death and suffering and pain. (laughs) And that's the Bible's explanation. So, Joe, this goes right into your question. Let's just workbook two. Listen to this. How you asked the question on page 34, how does suffering reshape your priorities? Why is it important for you to recognize God's sovereignty in your trials and struggles? What happens if you fail to acknowledge God's sovereignty? Because Tim sort of at the end there left it where it he tied it back to the garden and and was basically saying this was God's story from page one. Would you say that, in effect, emulates what you're saying here, that if you understand it's God's sovereignty, you will have a different understanding of why you're Uh, suffering? A hundred percent. Let me rephrase God's sovereignty to big picture, or what we would say 30,000-foot view, or whatever, big picture. If you don't understand that perspective of your role in all of God's plan for his kingdom from from Adam to the end of Revelation. If you don't understand your role in that, you become very egotistical in how you view your suffering. But if you begin to understand God's sovereign plan and you begin to realize there is something so much bigger than this pain that I'm going through right now, it doesn't take the pain away, but it certainly makes the pain, I mean, how can I put this? It makes the pain more understandable, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it makes the potential for the pain to be a benefit much greater. It's being able to get out of your own universe and sit from God's perspective. And I love that part about it. And so God's sovereignty really frees you up to allow a proper bird's eye view perspective of this little short life that we live on earth in comparison. Yeah. When I think about our own suffering and the story that I've shared in in past episodes, um, there have, big picture, looking at the sovereignty of God, there have been many people who have been blessed because of our suffering. Mm -hmm. But if I can't see that perspective, then all I can look at is my suffering, and I am blinded to the benefits that my suffering can bring to others. That's why I wrote suffering as a gift. Right. You can't see your suffering as a gift if you don't understand the sovereignty of God and all of it. 
Yeah. It's so backwards in a way of thinking because if someone's suffering, you say, hey, look, great news. God is in control. So you have, they're like, well, wait, then why am I suffering? But it all from this now, the last three episodes, I can honestly say that I don't know if I can put it into words. It's almost like the three episodes together do it, but I understand why a good God allows suffering. He doesn't just let us suffer. He suffered. Christ suffered. And in that suffering, we become closer to Christ. And in that suffering, we become transformed. And I'm going to take it a step further. We have another job in it. Let's say at the moment you're not suffering, but you know someone who is. I believe you have a responsibility, not just to comfort the person, right? but to somehow ask God to give you the wisdom to know how to say, I feel badly for the pain you're going through, but the way you are handling it has inspired me this way, or it has changed my perspective in this area. So what I'm saying is you have to find out a way with integrity to say to a person, here's how your suffering is changing me. I think that's so important for us to uh, allow our brothers and sisters who are suffering to hear, even in the midst of your pain, let me tell you about the impact you are having on me at this very right. moment. Their suffering, while it will transform them and bring them closer to Christ because they understand the sovereignty of God is in place, it will do the same to you. And you should tell them that. You should tell them that. So when I preached this sermon at Grace Life, when we it was like our third week, I think, as a church, and there were several people in our church who were going through different sufferings. And I think I mentioned this the last oh, yeah, episode. yeah, you did. You said, yeah. And I yeah. called them out and I said, I, and I asked them permission ahead of time. But I called them out and I said, I want you to know this is what your suffering has meant to me. And I think that that is a habit we should get into. I think it's a habit both to the person and what about, so who suffered the most for us in essence? I mean, it's Christ. Correct. So this, okay, I'm going to tell the person that suffered, whether or not it was for me or not, that I see in their suffering, I can see something in myself that's made me a better person. What you're really saying is a reason for prayer on a daily basis is to go to Christ and to say, you're suffering. Let me just show you, you're suffering for me, what you did, not just in the garden, not just the panic attack, but the cross. And Everything you did for me has changed me to follow you. And you know what? I think you go a step further. Like when you're talking to somebody who is suffering, Make their suffering superior to yours. Our tendency is, oh, I've been there. Let me tell you my story. And sometimes there's a place for that. But when you say, look, I've had my things, but what you are going through is so unique that here's the impact it's having on me. And so in humility, you communicate at the moment, their suffering is great. It's, it, it is encompassing and demanding. Their suffering is demanding all of their attention. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so one of the ways you can help comfort them is to know, I know that your suffering is grabbing your attention, but your suffering is so significant right now that it is making me look to God more than I did the day before. Right. And now what's happening for them? You have given them the ability to put one foot where? In, In eternity. eternity. And one And now they can here. see the big picture. Wow, maybe there's more to this than just my tears and pain.
So to wrap up the suffering segment here, Q and A. No more suffering, suffering, right? I feel I feel in a strange way like I mean I didn't suffer through the podcast, but I to explore, to sit with the feelings. You know what? That's like a whole thing where I wouldn't normally sit with feelings of suffering for a long time. Like I had to really reflect on a lot of things through this series. I would try to distract myself with something else, right? I would just try to hurry up and go to the right. next thing and just, I, I don't want to think about that. Like, but by sitting in there and by <laughs> si- seeing someone else, by seeing Christ suffer and sitting with him in the suffering, I feel different. You I feel why? very different. Yeah, Because it's allowed you to put a foot in eternity. That's really what it's all about. It's to be able to step out of this chronological world and think on an eternal basis. That's really what it does. Oh, we got a podcast coming up on that. Yeah, that'll that. be fun. <laughs> Well, we've got today, Sally, Sally C. has a question. She says, using the book of Philippians and Paul's relationship with that church as a grounding text, she's talking about your book here, it seems to explore what it means to live a life of relentless affection, motivation, confidence, commitment, and sacrifice. The author makes clear this can only occur in a life built on grace and gratitude, it also requires vulnerability as well as accountability as a part of the building and showing trust while challenging. It's comforting as he shows how powerful and loving our God is. I, my, I guess it's more my question. Is it challenging? Is it challenging? Because when the spirit gets involved, like for me, when I saw the task of talking about suffering and going back and maybe looking at things that I didn't want to look at, either I did or things to me, that was daunting. That was challenging. As I did it, it was as far from challenging as it could be. In fact, I've been more excited coming in here, I think, than I've ever been. Like, But we're not talking about what would be considered a pleasant subject. Does the spirit, when you're saying, I, I need to serve, do we have to consciously think, I need to serve to help that person? Or yeah, does the spirit great, compel? Great question. So it will seem like an overwhelmingly daunting task if you have both feet in this world. I mean, it's just a ridiculous thing. But what faith allows you to do, faith being a gift, allows you to start thinking things from a different dimension, from a different perspective. And you begin to see things with a 30,000 foot view from eternity. And it goes from being impossible Mm -hmm. to being probable because your whole mindset and the way you think begins to change. And you start thinking about after this life. If you're just thinking about this life, then yes, it's challenging. But if you have the ability to think in terms of eternity, it no longer is challenging. It becomes almost natural. It's an instinct. It's an instinct of God's children to react and respond that way. Yeah, I've always thought that I was living eternal life right now. I've always thought that, but I had no basis for that. But I have always felt like I've begun my eternal life. Well, you're teeing already. up another podcast. Aren't you? <laughs> I knew you I couldn't felt. stop. I knew you were going to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to talk more about that because you gonna, have a great scientific way. I've never point, heard we're it We're going to talk about sin and time and how uh, they're related, and it's going to be a great discussion. I love it. I love it. If you too have a question just like that, and uh, we read it on air, you will receive a signed copy of Joe's book. <clears throat> Simply email us that question at Living the Grace Life Podcast. That's Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. If we select your question, you are a winner. Our next show, Joe, the suffering ends. Not that this was suffering. We move on to chapter three, humble love. 
And speaking of humble love, I have to give a shout out to our humble sound man, Wayne, who sits there. He he sets up the technical stuff for the interview. He's here he editing out is, all my Tourette's coughing. He lives and he does all this here, incredible he's stuff. He's always here. Wayne, Wayne, how you doing today, brother? Just fantastic, Pastor. Thank you so much for the kind words. We didn't make you suffer too much, did we, during our tapings Not of suffering? All. Are you? Now, see, Not he's just all. being nice. He's just saying that. <laughs> no, he's truly enjoying the series very much. We love Wayne. Uh, we're He's thankful. doing a great Wayne job. has been fantastic. Thank you, Wayne. Thank everyone out there. That's our show for today. And on behalf of Joe, Wayne, and that whole team here at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next week. Whatever you do, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.